US businessman Dan Friedkin takes Redbird over. has recently made waves. MLB and NBA appear to be the lead. Ed Sheeran becomes Ipswich Township. Saudi Prince adds French side Chateau. NFL finalises new 11-year media rights deal with Amazon. Football clubs purchased and players traded in cryptocurrency. NFT is the latest and greatest form of sports memorabilia. Fan tokens replacing household name brands as the front of shirt sponsor at some of the biggest sports clubs in the world. I'm Reese Lenarduzzi and this is Sportonomic, a podcast brought to you by Athlon Partners. In this episode, I look at the fascinating ways in which blockchain technology, largely in the shape of cryptocurrencies, and non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, has made its way into sport. My first guest on the show is Dr. Kathleen Wilson, a lecturer in management, operations, and supply chains at Swinburne University. Kathy is also a crowdsourcing, sports innovation, and social impact researcher, and has written on NFTs. My second guest is Michael Cotton, co-founder of Meld Ventures, a firm dedicated to backing the next wave of blockchain entrepreneurs that support bold, innovative projects across multiple industries, including decentralized finance, supply chains, commodities, NFTs, and finance. For the first time ever at FIFA World Cup 2018 in Russia, WireX and ePayments offered fans the ability to purchase tickets in Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Russia's Kaliningrad hotel chain, Apartments Molina, followed suit and allowed customers to book accommodation using Bitcoin for the mega event. In 2020, Lancashire Cricket partnered with Tix and Go to provide a new blockchain mobile ticket platform. The deal involves secure mobile tickets for all domestic and international cricket fixtures at Emirates Old Trafford Cricket Ground, an encrypted ticket for smartphones that is traceable and removed the risk of counterfeit tickets revolutionizing the process of transferring or reselling tickets and ensuring authenticity. You have purchased a mobile ticket for an event. What happens next? You will receive an email with the instructions on how to download the app. In 2018, Harunistaspor, a Turkish football club, became the world's first to purchase a player using Bitcoin. Then later that year, Gibraltar United Football Club was one of the first to partially pay its players' salaries in crypto using QuantoCoin. QuantoCoin has been busy in the sports space, acquiring 25% of the Italian Serie C football club, Rimini FC 1912, the first football club to be purchased in crypto. Sponsorship deals are aplenty. eToro Cryptocurrency Exchange has become a big player in football sponsorship, particularly in the UK, partnering with the likes of Tottenham Hotspur, Cardiff City, Crystal Palace, Brighton and Hove Albion, Leicester City, Newcastle United and Southampton FC. eToro, the world's leading social trading platform. Litecoin became the official crypto sponsor of UFC 232 in 2018, sponsoring the light heavyweight title fight between John Jones and Alexander Gustafsson. Litecoin, the official cryptocurrency of UFC 232. Take control of your money and pay with Litecoin. The UFC crypto connection has moved onwards and upwards considerably from single event deals, with Crypto.com now the official cryptocurrency platform partner of the UFC. One may have noticed Crypto.com signage all over the cage in the recent Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier fight. Aston Martin Cognizant Formula One has also partnered with Crypto.com to become the first Formula One team to partner with a cryptocurrency firm. So... What becomes quickly apparent by merely going through a non-exhaustive list of deals and arrangements is that this technology is far-reaching and has many applications in the sports context, one of which is tokenizing and subsequently democratizing the fan experience. Essentially crowdsourcing and extracting that which lies within the fan experience, ascertaining what a fan of a given sports organization wants through technology. More on that throughout the podcast. Dr. Kathleen Wilson, who did her PhD on crowdsourcing, has in academia found herself working on these topics given the blockchain crowdsourcing crossover. I spoke to Kathy about her connection to the space and the ways in which she has seen these concepts and technologies make their way into sport. Yeah, look, I did do my PhD on crowdsourcing, which back when I started doing it, it was a very, very new topic. And when I'd mention it to people, they'd look blankly at me 
a lot of people used to get it mixed up with crowdfunding, which is different to crowdsourcing. So crowdsourcing was sourcing a crowd to actually do some work for you pretty much, whereas crowdfunding is asking the crowd for money. So it's kind of almost the other way around. So when I first went to do a PhD at Melbourne Uni, I wrote down, they said, what do you want to do it on? I said, technology and innovation. And I feel that both crowdsourcing and NFTs are kind of occupying that same generic space of technology and innovation. So it kind of fits nicely into, you know, what what I like to write about and what I like to think about. I guess crowdsourcing applies to the extent that many of the organisations that look after NFTs will sometimes crowdsource the work involved in that. And in a sense, I guess a lot of blockchain is based on disaggregated finance. So a lot of cryptocurrency is based on the idea that everything is quite decentralised and more in the hands of the common person rather than, say, big businesses, big governments, big organisations, big banks, Wall Street, etc. And so I guess there's more a democratisation involved in both NFTs and in terms of crowdsourcing. So I guess I'm kind of interested in that space as well. So the way things seem to be developing these days, more and more with technology as, as it sort of spreads across the world, we have, you know, amazing um, democratisation in that area and, and again, a lot of decentralisation. And I think NFTs are just part of this continuing trend and this conversation in terms of decentralisation. One of my key takes from my conversation with Cathy and perhaps not widely known, is the way in which tokens are intended to add value via the democratisation of a sports organisation, perhaps the ultimate example of a community asset, regardless of actual ownership. I asked Cathy to expand on what NFTs represent. NFTs represent a new digital phenomenon, which has rapidly grown out of the new phenomenon of blockchain, which many people would have heard of by now, and cryptocurrency. And NFTs is basically operating in that space. NFTs involve uh, creative ways of tethering content creation to blockchain technology to create a new way of authenticating things like objects of art or videos of sporting moments, digital content having largely replaced analog content. And we might remember those old um, analog videotapes we used to use and jam into machines, etc. We've moved on from that now and and we have, you know, online streaming and digital streaming. So people can see straight away how things have progressed in that arena. And NFTs are sort of, again, part of that progression. So um, NFTs have transformed the way content is structured, how it's moved, saved, used, shared and consumed as well. And we see that it's growing in such leaps and bounds that a reliable source, which I I tapped into, show that NFT sales have topped $2 billion in the first quarter, which is, you know, completely mind-blowing. And it seems to have captured the hearts and minds of many people. It operates a lot in the space of art and sport at the moment. So they seem to be the two areas which have been early adopters. And we can see a leader, um, which I've talked about in my article we have a leader which is the National Basketball Association so NBA in America has got what we call Top Shot which is a website where collectors of sport moments they call them which are basically these amazing videos of maybe 30 second footage of a particular player doing you know an amazing play such as a match winning layup or a three pointer at the end of the game I guess it captures hearts and minds of people who are big fans of NBA and they've really flocked in droves to this Top Shot site. And we see already that with Top Shot, uh, from it's, it's actually generated sales and trade worth almost $500 million. It has more than 800,000 accounts, of which 338,000 currently hold an NFT. So it's not insignificant in sport as well. So we can see a a dominant player such as the NBA really, really reaping benefit from that. And my view is also that a lot of sports are starting to be interested in this area and see it as, um, I guess, a, a new way, an innovative way 
of perhaps recouping some of the money that might have been lost during, you know, our, our 2020 season where a lot of sporting organisations have lost revenue through the effect of COVID-19 and it seems to have been a, a sort of nice way for, you know, an organisation like the NBA to try to recoup some of those losses from the previous year. And, you know, they've certainly done that in spades. I'm not saying that they drew in the whole of the $500 million that would have been shared across the whole ecosystem, which include all their, you know, technology partners, et cetera. They also have a revenue-sharing arrangement with their players and they also have, uh, like, trailing commissions in on-sale markets so people will trade and, and try and flip some of these NBA sporting moments on trade markets where people who are particularly, I guess, great fans of a particular player or a particular team or a particular sort of play can actually go on and buy that direct. So I think the NBA's got quite a nice model where they involve not just even the NBA but some of the other associated leagues that come off that. So players all get at least a 5% trailing commission on all sales. So the players themselves are actually reaping a big benefit from this. And in fact, when I was looking at NFTs originally in the area of sport, I also noticed that whilst the general public are big consumers of NFTs and and they buy them in great numbers, as I just um, mentioned earlier, in fact, the players themselves are actually big fans of NFTs. And there are many interviews that you can find on YouTube of big line players themselves talking about how they want to collect their own moments. So a lot of them are quite willing to pay, you know, reasonably high dollars worth of their income to actually make their own collections of their own work. And a lot of them do this not just because it's great to have your own certified version of your own work, which is what an NFT is, And also many people, maybe not necessarily players um, who may be collecting them for other reasons, but many other people who buy and collect NFTs, particularly of sport, will actually keep them as an investment. So that's why sometimes you see huge moments. You know, there might be an individual moment or an individual player where that player is, is highly popular and will actually command quite a big NFT sale. So in some cases, that has been over three hundred thousand US dollars just for one NFT thirty-second piece of footage, and they may be doing that because they're super fans and they have you know massive passion for this player or this type of play. Or alternatively, they might actually be very canny and very hard-headed investors who are keeping these NFTs in the hope that they will increase in value over time. And we've already seen some people actually getting quite a lot of return on on doing this. They're also smaller timing flippers, as we call them, and these are people who might get hold of a sporting moment through the NFTs on NBA Top Shots and hold it for only a very short time and then flip it as they can see increasing, you know, attention being paid to this particular player. You know, I've I've got an example of a a young guy called Josh who I found on YouTube who's an avid flipper and he's already made I think $14,000 from his flips in just a few months so I mean that doesn't sound a lot but this is just an ordinary guy a dad who comes home from work and sits in his study at night and and kind of enjoys his collections and flipping them to make a little bit of money on the side. In the case of great sporting moments these events that winning three-point shot that home run that goal that try These are the definition of rare, or at least owning that moment digitally is. Kathy has already touched on NBA Top Shot, and one need not be too imaginative to consider how cool it could be to own an NFT of an important NBA moment. Famous sporting moments featuring AFL star Eddie Betts and former footballer John Aloisi are believed to be among the first Australian NFTs. In the Australian newspaper, John Didelitzer, chief executive of W Sports & Media, which is working with Binance to launch the Australian NFTs, said, John and Eddie are athletes who own moments in time. John's penalty in November 2005 is the sort of moment that defines lives and that people know where they were when the moment happened. Equally, Eddie is the sort of footballer who creates magical moments that stay with people and makes them fall in love with sport. 
So to be able to capture their moments in a really unique and engaging way is something that fans of the players and fans of those moments can hopefully treasure and legitimately own part of. Mark Twain wrote in The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, Tom said to himself that it was not such a hollow world after all. He had discovered a great law of human action without knowing it. Namely, that in order to make a man or a boy covet a thing, it is only necessary to make the thing difficult to attain. I asked Cathy to speak to the concept in economics that scarcity equals value. Scarcity does equal value. We know that's a very well-established economic concept. And NFTs really do take advantage of that. So if I allude to an example which I heard about recently, and that is Jack Dorsey sold his very first tweet and he sold that for over two million US dollars. And I guess that is a scarce commodity. I mean, it is a once in a lifetime moment that he's managed to capture and he's sold the rights to that to somebody. So the person who owns the NFT of that will always own the underlying digital rights to that particular first tweet. And what that person does with it, they could be an investor, they could want to hold it and then sell it later on in the hope that it increases in value, or else they might just be a Wall Street type who enjoys collecting interesting assets which they can hold. It may be something like a fine wine can keep and both enjoy and brag about and also sell down the line if they, if they want to because such an item is so scarce and rare for that particular item, for example, there will never be another moment like that. You know, they can very much trade on that. Again, as we've seen with art and other areas where scarcity equals value, particularly in the non-fungible area, which means that it's a unique product, then if there are limited or only one versions of something and they're for sale, people will often snap them up because of that concept of scarcity equals value. We've got, you know, other really interesting examples of that. Fox, for example, is putting its whole collection of Simpsons animation onto NFTs. So, again, you know, you may want to get the very first NFT of Bart Simpson appearing as he did, you know, back in whenever the Simpsons started many years ago. You know, so I can imagine some of these animations may start appearing as NFTs and may, again, reap quite a lot of value for both Fox and maybe the investors who are shelling out money for rare moments in in that animation history. Given NFTs are increasingly spoken of as though they are the new or may replace the signed jersey, the photograph sporting moment or famous piece of sporting equipment, I think we can reasonably expect to see these NFTs used not just in the professional space, but as a means of alternative funding vertically through sport. Beyond the professional level and the strictly commercial utility, I wanted to ask Cathy how this technology might make its way into the lower level, amateur and grassroots of sport. I have actually found some you know, fairly new examples of where a more sort of community-based sporting organisation has started to use NFTs. One particular was for the Lady Jacks basketball team in the United States, which is a female uh, college-based team. And someone actually took a quite a nice video with set to music, ran for about 10 minutes, I think, of their their last final game where they won the championship. And they hadn't won it for 15 years. So it was a really huge moment for this club. And of course, there was a big group hug at the moment. There were people crying. It was very emotional. It really sucked you in. It showed them in the afterwards in the locker rooms, mucking around and had a, a sort of short interview with the coach and the captain of the team and everybody was sort of in tears. And so someone took all of this video and minted the NFT and then auctioned it in the, inside that community and someone bought it for $100. So, I mean, that's a nice example of where just a local, a more sort of community-based club has actually gone off and, and done this and used it in an auction to raise money for the club itself. And, and so um, it, it's not these Wall Street types buying it. I'm sure it was probably someone inside that community who bought that NFT and probably watches and cherishes it, you know, quite, quite a lot. 
Kathy and I connected over an article on the conversation that she co-authored with Adam Karg, Associate Professor of the Business School at the Swinburne University of Technology. The tail end of that piece considers upside, downside, risk and impact. I asked Kathy to expand on what she wrote regarding the environmental implications of this because of the energy used in blockchain verification processes and the social implications due to people only seeing NFTs as a way to make money. Well, look, I'll start with the upside, and that is my colleague and I who wrote the paper, we've been really focusing a lot on um, some of the future uses for NFTs and where we see it actually going. So is it going to die or not? We don't think it will. And, in fact, it's quite interesting in terms of how it's looking like it's going to progress in the future. And how that looks is that... um, A good example is Nike, who are bringing out an NFT for their high-value sneakers called CryptoKick. And what that will be is that NFT will be embedded inside the sneaker. And so you're going to see this marriage between NFTs and collectibles and, and actual material items out there. So embedded in maybe sneakers, clothing, jewellery, handbags, all sorts of things that people can wrap their heads around. So, and with the Nike example of the crypto kick, not only will it authenticate and verify the ownership of that particular set of sneakers, so NFTs are quite a nifty, easy way of guaranteeing that it is the real thing. Now, the downside is clearly the environmental and sustainability issues. So, we know that the blockchain verification process that goes on behind the blockchain, which guarantees these NFTs. A lot of the bigger blockchain cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin and Ethereum, use a particular sort of crypto mining, as they call it, so the verification process behind it. And unfortunately, you have, you know, many, many people and using lots and lots of power to do that. So there are plans afoot to try to modify that process to make it a lot more environmental and so there are plans afoot to alter the way that's that happens and so that's that's developing at the moment because clearly the people behind these cryptocurrencies are not happy about the amount of power that they're sucking in and um, a lot of them are also moving to renewable energy sources So they'll only use hydropower or things like that to create their cryptos. There's also, I guess, the social aspect. So, you know, there is, and I brought this up in my article, there is the idea that there is this NFT bubble. So, you know, there's a speculative bubble. There's a lot of maybe more mums and dads, investors going in and buying various um, NFTs in the hope that because they are rare, that they will all increase in value and that will not necessarily be the case. So, you know, we we can't know what's going to happen in the future, but, you know, it can't be that every single NFT that is deemed to be rare is actually rare or is actually will actually increase in value over time. So there may in fact be a number of people who lose money and that would be possibly particularly sad for more sort of speculative mum and dad style investors. And it may, in the, in the bigger finance world, it may also cause a sort of a, a knock-on effect and, you know, cause all sorts of other financial issues going on in the future. After the break, I speak to Michael Cotton from Meld Ventures about two of the biggest movers in this space of fan tokens and some of the technology. Rugby, it's a game they play in heaven. Look out for our podcast, The Running Game, where Matt Dunning joins me, Tim Gilbert. Each week, we speak to players, coaches, and legends of the game. We look at the game from every angle at all levels, from test rugby, the club game, city to country, and the way it's played at school. The Running Game. Come find us on your podcast app. According to Socios.com, Fan tokens are your digital pass to the teams you love. Unlike normal memberships, fan tokens never expire and are yours to keep forever. Socios, supported by the Chili's blockchain platform, has made waves in sport as the premier fan token provider to sports organisations. 
Their partnerships include some of the biggest names in European sport, such as FC Barcelona, Juventus, and Paris Saint-Germain. And in US sports, the Boston Celtics, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the UFC. Valencia Football Club recently became the first club to do a front-of-playing strip Socios.com deal. Owners of Valencia's fan tokens will be able to vote on day-to-day club decisions. Within weeks of debt ridden Inter Milan confirming a 275 million euro oak tree capital financing deal for 31% stake in the club, Inter announced it too had agreed a new front-of-playing strip sponsorship deal with Socios.com. Pirelli Chief Executive Marco Tronchetti Prevera confirmed that the tyre company would be ending its near three-decade spell as the Serie A club's shirt sponsor. National Football Association teams, Portugal and Argentina, have also done deals with Socios. Whilst we were working on this podcast, it was announced that what was formerly known as the Primera Division, the Argentinian top-tier professional football league has been rebranded as TorneoSocios.com. Across all these deals... The tokens are intended to provide fans that own them with access to voting rights in polls, VIP rewards, exclusive promotions, AR-enabled features, chat forums, games, and competitions on Socios.com. But why else are clubs, national teams, and now leagues doing these deals? Well, the reality is that many of these entities are struggling financially. Some are struggling pre-COVID, and the pandemic has certainly added to their woes. These deals represent an alternative form of funding from traditional sponsorship and investment. Distinct from the club, team, franchise approach of Socios, Ziliquire has become to be known somewhat as the individual player token platform, collaborating with footballers like Diego Costa and James Rodriguez. In an interview with Insider Sports, Emrit Kumar, President and Chief Scientific Officer at Ziliquire, mentioned a relationship with Polaris, which is essentially the sports marketing an athlete image rights representation arm of George Mendes' juggernaut football agency, Jesterfoot, that represents the aforementioned players, as well as Cristiano Ronaldo and Jose Mourinho. In the interview, Kumar points to their platform benefiting athletes and fans alike. He said, for fans, you would have a digital signature from the player and you could even win a signed jersey by the player. These are the sorts of physical utility that also gets added to our digital NFTs. You can even win the possibility to have a one-on-one session with the player. For the player, imagine I'm a well-known football player and I have a huge fan base of a million users, a million followers on Twitter and Instagram. Now I'd like to monetize my own personality and my own worth using that fan base that I have. The idea behind NFTs and monetizing yourself, remove some of those middlemen and directly serve your own fan base. You could shoot a video, like a video to wish happy birthday to your favorite fan and you can sell that NFT to your fan base directly. That can happen because you have the marketplaces which are developed on blockchain, on which you can just take your NFT, put that on sale, and then anyone can buy that NFT from you. You could even do auctions for your NFTs as well. You could literally go to a marketplace, build on a decentralized network, bypassing auction houses, have a direct connection with your fan base, and that is very powerful. I asked Michael Cotton about two of the biggest movers in this space of fan tokens and some of the technology. Rather than bombard with questions, Michael's the kind of guy you just want to let speak. So I did. To give you a fundamental rundown, so Socios, their offering is kind of a mixture between membership and frequent flyer program. You know, so really that's how you should think about those tokens. It's not quite a, you know, Qantas frequent flyer points. It's not quite membership. It's some sort of cocktail between the two, which is an interesting concept. I think where where we're seeing some strange elements is partly the, the, the teams and the brands that are getting involved with these kind of products don't really understand the tech, you know, and this is a real issue because what it means is they don't really know what they're getting in for. And this is not to say Socio is doing anything particularly wrong, but it's hard to make an informed decision when the people making those decisions don't really actually understand what they're doing. Uh, and this is probably one of the fundamental issues in the space and with blockchain tech natively and, and naturally is, is a complex topic. You know, it's not a really simple to understand area. In many ways, it sort of defies normal thinking in the way that the actual systems process. You know, a really good example with Socios is their actual fan tokens are, are based on what's called a private blockchain or a side chain, which means it's, it's a permission blockchain, which kind of goes against what blockchain is meant to be intended to do, which is that you control this digital asset that it's yours and you have all the rights to it and you have complete control. In reality, the difference with a permission blockchain 
is it's kind of no different to having access to like a Google platform in that Google can just go shut you off and close you out one day. And look, again, not to say socios would do that, but the intention of blockchain is that that is the kind of control you should have. You should have control over your own assets and rights to your own assets. You know, so that's kind of an interesting piece in itself because what it really means is, number one, the fan tokens <clears throat> are actually quite sort of segregated from the rest of the industry because they run on this private blockchain. They're not something that moves freely throughout the Ethereum blockchain, for example, which is where most of the transaction volume is today. Um, the Chili's token is different. The Chili's token is a full ERC-20, which is one of the most common Ethereum token types. But the fan tokens are quite different. Um, I think then if you look at the idea from the clubs, for the clubs, it's been great because it is an alternative revenue, you know, and, and in many cases, it can be a really healthy piece of revenue in one big chunk. I think where it sort of gets hard is what does this mean long term? You know, what value do they need to continue to deliver to the tokens in order for token holders to feel like they have got their money's worth, to feel like what they've been promised, which is this, you know, frequent flyer membership mixture of having rights and says and access to different elements. Will that play out in 10 years or in 10 years the cost of maintaining that not actually be met by the revenues of the tokens themselves? And a lot of this is to do with what revenue do the teams get ongoing from these tokens? You know, and that can really vary, but sort of what does that look like in 10 years when it's a permission blockchain chain, so it's not a part of the traditional normal blockchain ecosystem? What does that actually mean? You know, are teams like the UFC, I know they, they've been doing a, to a token with socios, like what does it actually look like in 10 years? Are they going to be getting enough revenue from that where they're still going to be offering really great value to token holders? Uh, and that's an interesting question. I think it's yet to be proven. Um, in terms of value movement in the tokens, being not necessarily a part of the current ecosystem does make it a little bit difficult in terms of understanding what it's going to mean in the future if these tokens are really going to go up in value. A lot of that is to do with socios, platform, what they offer, how that actually fits for the future, how great it is. Because in reality, if it's an awesome product and an awesome app and people get value, it will definitely have a, a long-term place in the market. But I think it's still to be determined. And in reality, not being a part of the mainstream ecosystem is kind of a hindrance. Um, by the same time, you know, at the time the tokens were launched and WinSocios first came to fruition, the technology was kind of limiting in the sense that transactions were costly, speed of transaction was costly. So having a fan token that's not worth a great deal of money or people trying to do trades in tokens that are worth 10 or $20 would have actually been an expensive exercise and counterproductive long term. So a private chain was actually probably a really sensible solution at the time. Um, we are seeing those changes now to current technology and some incredible blockchain tech coming to market, which has meant that that, that is no longer a necessity. You know, having to build a side chain and kind of have this permission blockchain isn't actually something you need to do anymore. The technology exists for products like this to exist in a true blockchain form. You know, so what that'll mean for, for projects like Socios, I think, is yet to be determined. Um, Ziliqua is also, like, it's quite interesting that I'd say its business model long-term for, for the NFT creators or the IP holders is probably better in the sense that it's a one-time value creation, you know, so they're creating artworks, they're creating value from their, their biggest currency, which is their own identity and their own IP and their own um, sort of fame and fortune in the space and selling that, which in reality is, is really good because they get what they, you know, one you people buying, you get what they need from it at the time. You know, the, the sporting stars providing the value, get payment for that at the time. Um, so it probably has a longer term sort of outlook. I think what's quite difficult, and we're seeing a little bit of this come up, is where we get smaller groups of players sort of branch off from mainstream larger offerings inside the different sports. Uh, so, you know, a great example is at the moment, it's only a small group of players offering this, these NHT products through Ziliqua, which means in reality, if we see a, a larger scale offering from some of the sporting teams they're a part of, you know, their singular offerings aren't as powerful as it would be to collect something that the whole team's involved in, for example. And we are seeing... And I think we will see a lot more offerings around completion of entire sporting offerings or entire team offerings. Um, the other piece for Ziliqua is, is it is kind of a niche blockchain. Uh, it's been in the market for quite some time. Its market cap is solid, but, you know, I, I, it, it's certainly not groundbreaking in the blockchain space. Um, it's got some really interesting tech. It actually uses a, a sharding method of breaking up the way transactions get, get um, processed which is kind of unique and is really interesting. But again, it's probably tech that is, is struggling in the battle against some of the new current technologies. Um, so a really good example, um, Algorand, which is, is one of the new leading technologies in the blockchain space, 
uh, the founder of the team is Silvio McCarley, uh, considered the grandfather of cryptographics. A lot of the actual equations and cryptographic mathematics he invented is used in most blockchains, he invented zero-knowledge proofs. He invented uh, pseudo-random number generation. He's won the Turing Award, won the Golding Award. He's, he's considered probably the, one of the greatest minds in the space. And he, several years ago, with several other MIT professors, started working purely on blockchain. You know, and they're a really good example of the kind of caliber of work and quality of tech that's coming to market that really sort of raises the question, what happens in five or 10 years when there's these incredible technologies? Do they dominate the spaces? Everything get built on top of technologies like Algorand? Do we see some of these niche blockchains that are really interesting and useful become even more niche? They sort of say using just in particular countries or particular cities or really particular products. But even then, if there's stronger products out there that also mean by being built on top of them, you're gaining access to a huge ecosystem that's also already on top of that same blockchain, does that mean we'll see these other technologies really be triumphant? And what will that mean for products like this? You know, and I think that's probably the interesting question for what's to come. This is new technology, and these are even newer ways of using it. When it comes to sport and these token deals and arrangements, there are essentially three main parties to consider the fan, the team or the athlete, and the blockchain platform product provider. So who wins? Can all parties benefit? Having heard Michael discuss how this marketplace is taking shape, I wanted to inquire a little further on how and where value is created. In terms of if we're looking at where where is value with these products and, and where does it really come into play, you know, we, we do have three key parties here. We've got, you know, the brands creating the tokens. We've got the IP holders, such as the actual teams and sporting teams. Uh, and then we've got the people who are investing in the tokens. Um, I, you know, again, I think people who are investing still do need to understand the tech and where the tech's going. It's kind of like buying real estate. If you buy into a suburb that you think is going to boom, it's probably more likely to be successful. If you buy into a suburb that, you know, may have maybe have some some tough outlook in the future, they might be about to build a highway right next to your house in the next five years and you think this kind of thing's going to happen or you know, there's some some clear issues that mean that it's maybe a bit rocky in terms of what's going to happen there. It's a good example where you really need to do the same research when when buying into blockchain. Um, at the moment, a, a lot of people don't. You know, it's kind of just this everything in, in sort of crypto goes up. I sort of try to talk about it as blockchain because I think crypto is this scary word and I kind of it feels like this madhouse of money and, you know, this monopoly money that, sort of just goes all over the place and, you know, you can sort of invent dollars. And and to a degree, it has elements like that. Like if you feel like doing some research into things like Crypto Kitties or Zed Racing, which is one of the other big sporting where you can actually raise crypto horses, uh, like it's a whole can of worms that's super fascinating for anyone who wants to do some digging. But in, in terms of this piece, I think for, for long term, I think where value will be created and the products that will be really successful is number one, products that are built on blockchains that are going to stand the test of time, which is two things. The, the blockchain fundamentals make sense. You know, the blockchain fundamentals look like they will scale. Um, you know, a great example is Ethereum now on a really bad day. So in May, we had Ethereum transaction cost peak at $71 US to do a transaction. So if you wanted to buy a coffee with Ethereum that day, your coffee was $4, your transaction fee was $71 US and about 45 minutes to go through. So your coffee is also ruined while you're waiting to get it. Um, so it's a good example of scaling issues. So, you know, it's a great example where that is a real problem in the future. Um, so that's like the fundamentals of what you should be looking at in the blockchain tech. I think from the brand side as well, and this really plays out because if it's meaningful for the brands, the investment side is also going to value from it because the more value the brands get from it, the more that's going to be committed to making more value in the tokens. So a lot of the long-term outlook at the moment is to do with royalties. So with a lot of blockchain now with NFTs, you can actually embed royalties where for life, whatever happens, this royalty piece chips off and gets distributed to the actual IP holders. Where this is probably most important is when that royalty isn't centralized. The reason that's, that's, that's such a big deal is if you've got centralized products with blockchain, the blockchain piece becomes irrelevant because if the centralized piece goes down, the whole thing goes down anyway. So a great example, if, there are, if there's reliance on a centralized piece delivering the, the royalties, regardless whether it's supposed to be this lifetime royalty effect, if that goes down, in reality, if the brands aren't receiving their royalties, they either have to find a way to fix it and build a new centralized piece to manage that, or they're going to stop delivering value because they're not getting any return from it. You know, and that's kind of an interesting piece of the puzzle too, is to you know, what that's going to mean. 
Um, I think there's an incredible opportunity here for brands and for sporting teams and for content creators and artists and all these different elements to really find value in this space. But the other big issue we're having is the tech is still brand spanking new, you know, like it is, it is young. There's a lot of development to happen. There's a lot more work on the tech actually having sort of intrinsic value inside the actual tech itself. Uh, a really good example at the moment, like the Kings of Leon album, I don't know if anyone saw the Kings of Leon album get released. It basically was just a token that says you own the Kings of Leon album. It doesn't actually have anything in the token. And that is where it starts to sort of unravel a little bit in terms of the value of the token itself. Don't get me wrong, it's like a COA, you know, it does have value. But the capability of the technology is, for example, right now there is the technology to take a King of Leon's song, hash code it, embed it into an NFT, and then actually play the NFT itself as a token through a hash decipher on your phone and listen to the song. Like that is where the technology is going. And products who build on that kind of technology that means that these tokens, one, can stand alone, they can deliver value, they don't require a third party to have that value. That is really where the tech will stand out. And I think more products that build on that kind of tech will be the ones that will win in the long run. One of the points that became apparent throughout my discussion with Michael was that many of the players, clubs, teams and franchises probably don't understand the tech to the extent that they should, going into these deals and arrangements with blockchain-based token providers and platforms. I asked Michael to speak further to what it is we are talking about here in terms of tech and fan tokens and to make distinctions between the variety of products out there. In reality, there's basically two token types. Like there's a whole heap of other tech that, you know, branches off this, but there's two key different token types. You've got fungible tokens and you've got non-fungible tokens, NFTs. Uh, What's interesting is NFTs weren't actually really designed for necessarily art originally. The concept behind NFTs were things like identity, you know, like a digital passport, medical records, contracts, um, specific events having to be recorded on chain to be immutable information. You know, that's what it was originally designed for. And very quickly, the idea that, hang on, well, if it can represent you as a human being and an identity that's that's really verifiable on blockchain, it can also represent an item, represent a digital asset, represent an artwork, represent a fan token. So it, it is really where the market has sort of latched onto it and seen this crazy opportunity. And we've seen chaos in the market for, you know, the last six to 12 months of just NFTs just going, going wild. Um, I think, you know, in, in terms of the next step down, it's, it's going back to this, what, is, what blockchain is it built on? Because it, it is a lot more important than people realize. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's several things to consider. Quality of the technology what they're actually doing. I think the other really big piece that a lot of people sort of don't think about is the team behind it because in reality, if there's good quality technology but there isn't a great team that's going to be trusted globally by things like governments who are going to issue CBDCs, there's probably going to be a struggle for that technology to ever really be adopted broadly. Um, and that, that is kind of an issue in itself and, and kind of a roadblock for a lot of blockchain techs. Uh, that's not to say it should just be that, but in reality, you know, I think we'll see a world where there's several blockchain technologies, but they'll each be leading the pack in their sector and their type of technology. So whether that be a really private, trustless blockchain that doesn't necessarily have a lot of broader traditional adoption, then you'll have blockchains that are incredibly powerful, incredibly secure, and designs that broader adoption makes sense, payment transactions make sense. You know, we'll see this kind of tech and then we'll see other little niche use cases that will have really specific capabilities built inside the technology. But, you know, we aren't going to have a million different blockchain techs because I think it, it really doesn't make sense. It's kind of like having, you know, a million different search engines. Sure, they might exist, but in reality, there's a handful that will be the absolute be all and end all for 99% of the world. And we'll definitely see a lot of the same play out in blockchain. Um, so, you know, once you've got then your blockchain tech, you've then got your NFTs and then you've got your things like fan tokens. Like fan tokens are just NFTs just sort of renamed. Um, I think what you sort of also need to think about there is things like forking. Uh, and I know, look, this is a lot of detail and this can wig some people out, but forking is where the blockchain actually splits and you end up with duplication. Uh, and this can be a real issue. Uh, and this is why a lot of transactions can take a lot of time because having certainty that you won't have forking is a lot to do with why things can take a long time to transact. It's trying to make sure that the likelihood there'll be a fork is low. Uh, so blockchains that, for example, have no forking are probably going to be more likely to be utilised for NFTs, uh, whereas blockchains that do have forking are probably going to be sort of shied away from for the NFT side. 
Um, I think at the moment we are still seeing that people just don't understand the technology. So no one's sort of really considering this because also in reality, when any product pitches to a brand or to a team or to anyone to create an NFT, when they're people who don't necessarily understand the tech, you don't talk about all the things that might be a problem in the future. You talk about how awesome NFTs are and what a great opportunity and how much money can be made. Um, and so, look, it's not to take anything away from Zilliqua or Socios. They're both really great products and they do really interesting stuff. But, you know, I think in the long term, there's going to be a lot of fight for this territory and there's a lot of quality products and a quality tech out there that's going to be interesting to see what happens. And what of sport itself? Beyond the athlete, the club, the token owners, the product provider, what's in it for sport and how best can sport utilise this tech with an onwards and upwards approach? I asked Michael to expand on the value add for sports. I think th- this is definitely something for the sports world and, the, and, you know, any industry, creative industry or industries that have value in non-tangible things, it's definitely incredibly useful. Um, you know, I think even the, the royalties part alone is such an, you know, an amazing advancement. You know, the idea that music artists can long-term have their, their songs traded for the next 100 years and, and for life have royalties automatically feeding back into to them as an artist or their family or their estates, that is an incredible step forward. Like there's no doubt about it. E- even the ability to have certainty of ownership, you know, that, that ability of authenticity uh, on chain is really fascinating. You know, one of the cool pieces I talk about a lot is provenance. You know, uh, going back to the Kings of Leon reference, you know, the idea that you can actually look on chain and see that it was issued from the Kings of Leon wallet is the ultimate form of knowing it's the original, you know, like so that kind of thing is all possible with blockchain. So it is an amazing leap forward. I think, you know, the technology being new means we're still finding our way um, and there's still work to be done in terms of this technology to really mature and see where it fits really perfectly in the space. And so I think with sort of that in mind, uh, you know, most thing I sort of say to most sporting teams or anyone who I talk to is, is to really consider the tech, maybe get some other advice get a third party into sort of review the tech and, and who has a real understanding of it to give you advice on what you should be doing, what you should be, what could be going wrong, what the future looks like. Because if they get it right, this space can offer a huge amount for any team, can offer long-term revenue, can create revenue streams that would never have existed before out of assets that were really discarded and, and kind of useless. You know, so really knowing what you're doing, understanding the technology and applying it and having really strong outlooks on how you can utilise this is important. I do think, and I sort of hear it a little bit, I think a lot of people think it's a bubble. And look, there's a bubble element to it. I think the bubble element is more to do with pricing, less to do with the technology and the long-term value of that technology. It's more just to do with madness of people spending crazy money in the space. Long-term, the technology stacks up. The technology is incredible and it's here to stay. And so for most sporting teams and, and IP holders, it's about working out how that can work for you in the long term and making sure you're choosing, you know, the right systems and processes and ways to utilise that tech to ensure you're going to be, you know, in 10 years you're going to be feeling all the, the returns of all the hard work you put in rather than having a one or two year gain that sort of drops off after that. To wrap up, I wanted to get Michael's thoughts on what he envisages for the future of blockchain, crypto and NFTs in the sports space. So look, long term, uh, I, I think we'll see it, it, it well and truly entrenched everywhere, whether that be from e-gaming to traditional sports. Um, I think it'll definitely play a major role. Uh, I think the, the things we'll see being monetized are things like events, quality interactions with certain players, you know, really those add-on digital elements that, that can really enhance value to fans. I think that long-term piece is the piece that's going to be sort of uneasy and, and, and any sporting team needs to ensure that their long-term business plan for how this actually works and where the revenue is going to be coming from and certainty of that revenue. Because, you know, with blockchain, you are committing to something for life. If you commit to any sort of lifetime membership or token idea, you know, it is a long-term commitment uh, and you don't want to be sort of apologising to fans in five years as to why you're shutting down the project because I think that's a really bad way that this sort of thing could end. Um, so I think for a lot of brands, really thinking hard about that and making sure that they're developing ideas around how can these tokens be utilised. You know, some of the interesting ideas we're starting to see is, you know, this this piece where fans can, for example, watch ads from sponsors um, and, and earn tokens. Uh, and by doing that, the teams actually get paid by the advertisers directly and you can sort of cut out some of the middlemen in terms of the way those transactions take place. You know, so there's some really interesting ways that you, we can see that happen. 
Um, I think also creating direct access to fans. Um, I think I think sport, especially traditional sport, needs to ensure that they are fueling the next generation of fans because you know in reality it's only going to be as popular as long as people want to participate and watch and support. Um, so I think also utilizing this to get into and get involved with that next generation is also really important. Um, I think we'll see some really innovative ways as to how these kind of things will also maybe transition into games, you know, playing FIFA, the FIFA video games where you can actually earn an NFT that you can withdraw from the game straight into your wallet. You know, that kind of multi-use capability, I think, will start to, to show its head. And I think it's a great way for brands to create value over something that's actually really low cost. You know, in reality, creating an NFT trophy is incredibly low cost. Creating sporting cards that then can be traded and have royalties attached every time a card's traded these are really great things that can deliver value that don't tie them into anything long term, but create some interesting Sportonomic um, is an afternoon sport group that production. also deliver long term royalties. It's early days for crypto and NFTs in the sports industry. And in this experimental stage, it's probably a matter for all involved to ascertain and to ascertain quickly what works and what doesn't. As Kathy mentioned, there's quite a lot at stake when one looks at the real and potential environmental and social implications to these markets. In the interest of not concluding with doom and gloom, however, there is plenty to be optimistic and even excited about, with how this technology can really benefit sports, athletes, clubs, teams and fans alike. The royalties feature of NFTs is particularly encouraging, as it seems right and fair that the original creator, or the athlete that produces a great moment, be the long-term beneficiary of the sale of that digitised moment. We learned throughout the European Super League debacle that some of the biggest football clubs in the world don't know their fans or understand their motivations. Fan tokens, with the ability to conduct surveys or hold elections or other votes for fans, might reconnect clubs and supporters. And clubs might again be truly shaped by the fans that are in essence the reason the clubs survive and prosper. Thanks for tuning in to Sportonomic. Make sure you find the show, follow and subscribe on your favourite podcast app. A huge thank you to this week's guests, Dr. Kathleen Wilson and Michael Cotton. Thank you to our sponsors, Athlon Partners. You can find further detail at www.athlonpartners.com. And thanks to our producer, Dan McHugh. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find me on Twitter at Reese Lenarduzzi.